0: All of the, yes, all of you who have missed singing the hymns, you need to give Jean an extra special hug today because she took it upon herself to find a way to get this keyboard in here on Wednesday mornings. Um, because, okay, we need to thank Michael. Okay, all right. So as you will see, we'll have more hymns back in the rotation. So a couple of announcements. Uh, Small group fellowship is next week. You'll be hearing about that from your leaders. Um, And then the following week is the Ash Wednesday service uh, at noon. It's really nice if you if you have the opportunity to stay and go as a small group. Um, Just a little bit of extra time together, um, and you can come over here afterwards for a light lunch. And then if you haven't looked uh, on the website, on the Covenant website, Go ahead and look at it for this lecture with Peter Enns. This is really kind of a big deal that we're bringing these um, people in to speak. So give that um, a minute or two to think about. And we have a story this morning. Barbara Worley is going to come up here.
1: Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad I didn't have to sing with this mic on. <laughs> Not my expertise. So uh, I'm asked if I could tell a story today because it's an anniversary of sorts. I'm calling it the Three C's. Back in February of 2016, I was in my small group at Lamplighter when I got a phone call. I left the group to answer it outside. When I went back in, they all looked at me with worry when I said that it was from my doctor. This was a small group that had become very close, sharing our problems and our blessings. I hope that's not my phone. <laughs> they knew that I was experiencing some abdominal pain and had been, had been having some tests done. I debated whether to tell them right away because I was in kind of shock. But I knew how much they cared, so I told them. It was a diagnosis of lymphoma, cancer in my lymph nodes. It was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the doctor wanted me to start chemotherapy right away. I was upset because, uh, extra upset, because I had already paid for a mission trip to Ecuador. And though I tried to talk the doctor into starting the treatment later, he said, absolutely not. There would be six infusions, 21 days starting the very next week. It would take five months. Here's why I call this the three C's. Immediately upon hearing the diagnosis of cancer, my small group leader took her notepad out to pass around to the group and said that they would take turns feeding me every Wednesday, uh, every week. I did not realize at the time what an unbelievable blessing that was. I would experience the typical chemotherapy side effects of a lowered immune system, fatigue, nausea, loss of appetite, loss of hair, and many other interesting side effects. Also, my husband's only cooking specialty was breakfast. So not only did my group pray for me every week, but they faithfully delivered a meal, and some stayed to visit and even sat with me during my infusions. I was also blessed to have the prayers and support of many other women in Lamplighter, in the Lamplighter group and Covenant as well. I truly believe that God shows up in many ways and that he uses people as his instruments, like angels. God put these women in my life, to help me get through this ordeal no matter what the outcome would be. Some people I had said I had such a good attitude (laughs) and I said how could I not with all the love and support I received from this community of faith. I realized early on that I was not in control of my treatment and that only God knew what would happen. But what my community gave me was courage. The courage to get through whatever would happen and show me that with faith, God was on my side. It's now four years later, and I am in NEDA, N E D A, which means no evidence of disease activity. I thank God for his unspeakable gifts and for the community of faith that he gave me, and that he continues to be with me always. And if you're trying to figure out what the three C's are <laughs> cancer, community, and courage.
0: Thank you, Thank you. you uh, yeah. Thank you, Barbara. She sent me this picture to put up, and I was just like, I can't believe how beautiful she looks with no hair. <laughs> don't we all hope we look that good if we ever have to be bald? Thank you for sharing that story. There is, um, I think that's something that we don't often acknowledge is what a community we have in this room. Um, and just look today, even on a day when We really didn't expect a lot of people because the weather was so bad. It just shows how strong this community is. So let's open with a word of prayer. Here we are, Father, ready to hear what it is that you want us to learn about you and your holiness. Open our hearts, open our ears. Let what we hear be reflective only of you and bring you glory. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Am I okay? Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Am I okay? (laughs) That's a question I ask myself a lot. Um, Okay, let's start with God is holy. Um, Here I am again. If you can define it, it's not God. That's Richard Rohr. And I want to start with this again, and let's see if it holds up with this attribute of holy. So I think it's safe to say that we've all heard the word holy and likely we've used the word holy many times. But the question is, do we really know what holy means when we're talking about God? There isn't any use for anyone to try to explain God's holiness. We cannot understand holiness. When we talk about the holiness of God, you have not only the problem of an intellectual grasp, but also a sense of personal vileness, which is almost too much to bear. That's A.W. Tozer who said that. So I read this, and my first reaction was not one of excitement. Uh, I think the word was probably more like dread, because I thought if a theologian like A.W. Tozer says this about holiness, what in the world am I, who's not trained, going to stand up there and say about God's holiness? But that's not the point he's trying to make with this quote. I realized that this explanation was never intended for us to use as an excuse or for permission to dismiss God's holiness as simply beyond our comprehension. It's more of a reminder to us of who God is and that God will always be beyond our human comprehension. So our yearning to be closer to God and to develop a personal relationship with him means that it's absolutely necessary for us to at least to try to understand who God is. So I'm going to give you all a few descriptions um, of God's holiness from people who with far more knowledge than I have. Um, this is small, and I'm just going to remind you don't try and write it all down. You can go on the website and see it, but these are some pretty good um, descriptions. Henry Thiessen says God is holy means that he is absolutely separate from and exalted above all his creatures and creation, and he is entirely separate from all moral evil and sin. Harold Wilmington tells us God's holiness is a single perfection. That would perhaps come closer to describing the eternal creator than any characteristic he possesses. It is the union of all other attributes, as pure white light is the union of all the colored rays of the spectrum. Elmer Towns says, Holiness is the first description that comes to our mind when we think of God, and maybe one of the most difficult attributes to completely understand and define. God is holy and apart from everything that is sinful. Sin is anything outside the nature of God. A.W. Tozer says, Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. Because he is holy, all his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. God has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of this universe. And then finally, R.C. Sproul, or Sproul, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, says, God alone is holy in himself. The word holy is used as a synonym for his deity and calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. And his spirit is Holy Spirit. So what we need to understand from all this is that God is separate. He's set apart and he's unlike any other. He's cut off from everything that is sinful and evil. God will not and cannot tolerate sin. Because God is holy, there is no trace of evil in his character. So I want to look at what the scripture says because God defines himself better than we ever can in his own words. Now, again, are y'all, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just going to assume y'all are looking at these every time I put them up here (laughs) because I'm putting them on the website. I just think it's kind of nice to have something to go to for a quick reference. Um, So these are just just a couple. I mean, the holiness is, is throughout the whole Bible. So the first thing we want to see is that God is sinless. In 1 John 1.15, we are told, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Next, we'll say God alone is holy. Isaiah 57.15 says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. And then Revelation 15, 4 says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. Your righteous acts have been revealed. And then we see in Scripture that even the demons recognize his holiness. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, it says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We need to recognize and acknowledge that God is separate from humanity. I mean, that sounds obvious, but he's separate with us in several ways. He's separate from us spatially. He's in heaven while we're here on earth, but his nature and his character is also separate from us. He is perfect, and we are imperfect. God is unique in his holiness, and no one is like God. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And Psalm 5.4 says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. Because God is holy, God is unable to look at sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your inequities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. God's holiness demands that sinners are separated from him because he cannot tolerate evil in his presence. So in the opening hymn this morning, Holy, 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 um, that phrase, the actual phrase, Holy, 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 is used two times in scripture, in Isaiah 6, 3, and in Revelations 4, 8. And the truth that God is holy, holy, holy reflects his eternal nature. God is everlasting, he's unchanging, he's good all the time. It proves his divine perfection in the Trinity. His perfection is revealed as the Father as Jesus Christ, his son, and as the Holy Spirit, all who share these divine attributes and supreme holiness. God is perfect in all of his ways in eternity, past, present, and future. So are you beginning to get the picture of what holiness is? So it it occurred to me that when you really pay attention to God's holiness, it has some frightening and dangerous undertones to it. And I think we've lost that in in our society, I think we've become desensitized to it. If you notice in that first scripture that we have today, that when God shows himself, um, Isaiah, beca- he became aware of his personal depravity. We, there's always fear and trembling when God shows himself because the truth is that God's holiness is so overwhelming that it can actually be dangerous for us to approach and that's scriptural. Remember when Moses sees the burning bush and God commands him to to take off his sandals because he is on holy ground. And then he says, don't come any closer. And then again, if you think about the Holy of Holies, it was that inner room of, of the temple where God resided. And the rituals and the reverence that was placed upon that room and anyone who got to go into it, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and read Leviticus. But we don't even have a modicum of the fear and reverence I think that they used to have have for God. But thankfully for us, while God's holiness is more powerful than we can face, than we can endure, his holiness is also purifying. Isaiah was purified by that coal that was put to his lips. And we also hear in scripture that Ezekiel had a vision where the holiness of God pours out from the temple. Like a river, revitalizing and purifying all the land that comes into contact with it. So I want to stop here for just a minute and do a little bit of a refresher on the two different types of God's attributes, because we have divine or immutable, and we have moral or mutable. The divine attributes are the characteristics that are unique to God that we will never have, we never can have. That is those are the ones like He's infinite, He's omnipotent, He's, he's omnipresent, he's eternal. The moral attributes, or the mutable ones, are the ones like good, loving, just, and today's, holy. Now, what you need to understand is, God is the only one who's perfect in any of these attributes. But, these are attributes that he calls us to emulate him in. We are supposed to use them, we are supposed to incorporate them into our lives as a way to show who we are as Christians. And I think the biggest problem we have today is that we have learned to live in unholiness. We're just so used to it, we just don't even pay attention to it anymore. We no longer expect truth and honesty or faithfulness. We live in a world that is anything but holy. So what do we do? Well, first, we realize that there's nothing we can do. It's, it's out of our control. There's nothing we can do to attain God's holiness. So how, then, if he tells us that we need to, how do we become holy? Well, the only way we can is through God, which brings us to our ultimate purifier, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who makes us holy. Because only God is holy, any people or objects who are said to be holy are described in this manner only because God has intervened and made them holy through his son, Jesus Christ. Because Christ is holiness in human flesh. He did all the work for us. He came and took on our sin so that we could be set apart and made holy. God's holiness is imparted to us through the blood of the Lamb. Jesus alone set us apart and made us holy. God's holiness is manifested in the cross. Sin is so abhorrent to God, so evil, so vile, that it separates sinners from God. So we were separated from God until Jesus Christ came and stepped in and took that sin on for us. He is the reason we have atonement. It's his work of sanctification that has been done by, the, by him, the Holy and Righteous One. And that's what makes us holy. So you can think of it as Jesus is our bridge to holiness. He's how we cross over from where we are to into God's holiness, by the bridge of Jesus Christ. He, in, in Jesus, our bridge, we are transformed rather than destroyed by God's holiness. And our only part in it is to accept Jesus Christ and to abide in his holiness, which means live in his holiness. So because of Jesus, we can take on this attribute of holiness if we have a relationship with him. Therefore, the term holy is applied to people or objects that have some kind of relationship with the Lord. They are set apart for his service. So isn't this starting to sound a little bit better? It kind of started out doom and gloom, um, but it's kind of even exciting. So here's what we've learned so far. First of all, God is holy. Second, Jesus is our bridge to that holiness. But there's one more thing that we have to figure out. Even though we did nothing to earn our holiness beyond accepting Christ as our Savior, we do have some responsibility to live in that holiness. Remember, this is one of the attributes that God says, yes, this is, what, this is how I want you to be. But how do we know what that means to live in holiness. How can we live in something that is defined as impossible for us to understand? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can give us the knowledge of what is holy. God reveals himself through the scriptures and the Holy Spirit illuminates it for us. The Holy Spirit tells us what it means. So let's look through a little bit through scripture and see how holiness changes us. The holiness of God causes believers to be sensitive to our own sinful ways. Once we are holy, we can't ignore our sin any longer. The Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin, and we must confess it to move forward. And we see that in Luke 5 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Being made holy means we have a standard to live by. We should live in a holy manner because God is holy and he tells us to be holy. Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In 1 John 1.7, John wrote, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then in 1 Peter 1.5, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. As believers, we acknowledge God's holiness in our worship and praise. Once we start to grasp the holiness of God, there is nothing less than worship and praise that we can offer. We should be like the angels who cannot stop singing once we realize what holiness means. We go back to Revelations 4.8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As believers, we are to worship God in holiness. No one is holy like God, therefore he alone is worthy of our worship. From Psalm 29, 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And then Romans 12, 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the Holy Spirit is the way we find out what holiness is. And, you know, this is new for me, for those of you all who have been in lamplighters for a while. I'm not usually the person who has all the slides. And I don't usually refer a ton to scripture like I have this year but what we keep learning about all these attributes is they are gods and, god and 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 we really can't define them except through the holy spirit. And where is the holy spirit the holy spirit the holy spirit is who intercedes with us when we are in scripture to tell us what god is saying to us. So that's the that's the key is is to be open to the holy spirit. So now this brings me to the part that every time I get up here is my most challenging task. Because this is the part that says, what am I supposed to learn from this lesson? How am I supposed to make this attribute of God's holiness become part of my everyday life? Well, last Thursday, in my early morning quiet time, the Holy Spirit put a particular scripture on my heart. And I didn't know why it was important, but I wrote it down. Well, later that day was when I sat down to start working on this lecture, and that scripture came back to me, and that scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So, when I looked back at this, this scripture um, that had come to me that morning, um, you know, I read it and I thought, yeah, I know, I know I'm God's temple, but what was different to me this time, what really stood out to me this time was the part that said, if anyone destroys God's temple, because what the Holy Spirit was saying to me was, you're that person, you're the one who's destroying God's temple. I am the one destroying my temple. So what does that mean? What am I doing that's destroying God's temple? Well, unfortunately, way too many things. I will admit that far too often I succumb to this, the ways of this unholy world. I just don't even think about it. I've become immune to it. I don't hold myself to that higher holy standard that God is calling me to hold myself to. So what are some examples? What am I talking about? Well, you know, we all talked. Y'all listened to me talk about my lying a couple of weeks ago. That's a good one. Um, but there are other sins that we think of as harmless sins that we all commit. And I, I want you to know that when I say harmless sins, that is completely sarcastic. Because we just talked about earlier, God abhors the sinner. He, it, sin is what separates us from him. There is no minor sin. There is no harmless sin. So ask yourself if any of these harmless sins apply to you. Gossip, pride, judgmentalism, disobedience, and on and on and on. Isn't it true that we can often see sin so clearly in the people around us, but we can't see it in ourselves, or when we do, we think, "Oh, that's just not that big a deal." So what I want to look at today is gossip, because that's what I was, what sort of convicted me at one point in my life, and I never thought of myself as a person who gossiped. It actually makes me really uncomfortable when I'm in a in a group that uh, conversations take that turn. But I was like, "So why am I? Why is this coming up for me?" Well, I was. <laughs> this was years ago. But I was talking to a friend about my concern for another person. (laughs) And as soon as I started, my friend said to me, come on now, let's not do this. And that was all she said. Uh, It was direct, it was simple, and it was convicting. She didn't (coughs) reprimand me, she didn't embarrass me, she just reminded me of what it means to be holy and to live a holy life. It was a sin to be gossiping. It was not holy. So how is it possible for any of us to be holy when we're sinners? We're sinners all the time. Well, it's not something that we have to sit here and try and figure out because we're told exactly how we can do it. We have to follow Jesus. Remember, he is our bridge to God. Because of Jesus, when God looks at us, all he sees is the righteousness of his son. Jesus covers our sin from him. So if I want to be holy, I need to adopt the values of the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed in the Beatitudes, for example, back in in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Go back and give that a a new read. We studied it last year. It was, um, that's a perfect reminder of what it is to holy, to be holy. Um, so how did, I, how did I address that particular sin in my life? What I try and do is I try and you notice I'm saying try because we're not perfect we are all sinners but I just try not to say anything about someone else that I wouldn't say if I was standing right there in front of them. That's a great way to tackle that sin so um, I think what we have to do is we have to really think intentionally, about tangible things that we can do that bring us into God's holiness. Maybe during times of prayer and worship and honor and praise, but also just in our, just in our everyday life. Um, a couple of months ago, I incorporated a new little prayer into, my, into the way I start my morning. It's very simple. It's not exact words, but what I do is I ask the Holy Spirit to take control of my mind and to take control of my words and to take control of my thoughts. It has become transformative for me. Um, Whenever I find myself focused on the world or the wrong things, which can be a lot, sometimes this turns into a, a, a chant that I practice all day long, but I say to the Holy Spirit, take control of my mind, put my mind back on Jesus. And I was delighted when I was looking over this lecture yesterday um, to be reaffirmed in my effort to, to turn my thoughts over to the Holy Spirit. If any of you all read Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, you read this yesterday. He starts by asking the question, is your mind stayed on God? And then he says, your mind is the greatest gift God has given you, and it ought to be devoted entirely to him. You should seek to be bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And that's from 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is what it means for us to be holy. This is what we can do. This is how we strive to be holy. God's holiness is a powerful force, and we need to treat it with respect. God's holiness is a gift that he gives us that will help to heal a broken and impure world. The way we all conduct ourselves as followers of Christ, has a bearing about what people think about God, the God that we all profess to love as Christians. So we need to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to show, for him to show us how to reflect this holiness of God to all people that we encounter every day. So that's what I would encourage you all to do, is just spend a little time thinking about what it looks like to have this great gift of holiness from God. How can you use this gift of holiness in your everyday life to reflect him and to glorify him in everything you do? Let's pray. Lord, you alone are perfect in your holiness. Thank you for showing us what it looks like to be holy. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to help us that we don't have to do it on our own, that our Holy Spirit can guide us to a more holy life. Help us today and every day to recognize any thoughts, behaviors, attitudes, words, anything that push us from you and separate from you. And help us to turn our thoughts to pure devotion of you in all we do. I ask this in your son's holy name. Amen.